great to be back with everyone. And uh, the Craigs and the Marichis and all the community group leaders are at a retreat planning out 2012 for the South Bay. And so that's why they're not here today. Uh, it's been a while since I've been able to worship with the South Bay. I was on vacation and I was in Honduras. Then I was at Palm Springs for the Singles Conference. And then I was in Palm Springs uh, on vacation. And so it's kind of all over the place. But it's great to be back together uh, with the South Bay. And I think we're going to have a great time today studying out the last part of the book of James. Uh, Ron and Christina got married yesterday. Uh, they're uh, in flight as we speak on their way to Bora Bora. Uh, I've always wanted to go there. Anybody else? Maybe someday or in the next life. Um, but I got a chance to do the wedding yesterday for Ron and Christina. Uh, Ron and Christina is the uh, couple that came up and did their, shared their transformonial. Uh, maybe a six months ago, we were converted about a year ago as a dating couple, a little over a year ago, and uh, both became Christians, and uh, I got to do the wedding yesterday with their family and uh, a bunch of the disciples there, and it was just a really, really special victory to watch them going from um, not Christians to Christians, you know, to becoming Christians, and then uh, to get married as Christians, and it was really, really special uh, and encouraging. And then we have another wedding next week. Somebody's, I mean, it's in, it's in the water or something. But uh, Noreen right here is getting married. Noreen, go ahead and stand up. Um, Noreen has been a Christian for four years, for almost four years, and uh, almost all of her siblings are except one. He's holding out, and um, and uh, she's getting married next week to a great guy named Nick, uh, who's a Marine. Uh, he's going to put the full the full uh, dress Marine dress uniform on next week. And then, uh, unfortunately, we're going to lose her because uh, he comes in Thursday to scoop her up at the wedding. And then off they go to, believe it or not, Hawaii, to live in Hawaii. So uh, happy for you getting married. Happy for you in Hawaii. But L.A.'s better than Hawaii. That's for sure. But really happy for both couples as uh, you remember your wedding day and how special that was. Uh, Elias and Rachel are still, you know, they're in their honeymoon. They're committed. It's going to be 12 months, and uh, they're loving it. And so it's just great to see. And we have several other singles across the region that are getting married uh, in the next few weeks. I'll turn in your Bibles over to James 3. That's going to be our text today is James 3 through 5. Uh, if you're visiting today, we've been doing a series uh, out of the book of James about taking action. You know, Christianity is not a spectator sport. I know many of us have heard that before. But it's not just something where you come and you sit and you listen and you sing and you do it twice a week and then you go home and you have a couple more deeds that you add to it and then that's kind of encapsulate your Christian life. Um, it's different than that. It's, it's the essence of who you are. It's how you live. It's how you process disappointment and challenge and difficulty. It's what exudes from you. And as we study James 3 through 5 today, you're going to realize that the issues that he's addressing is about a decade into the church, the church's beginning, and he's addressing some very difficult issues of the heart in the hearts of Christians. And so I think we can learn some things uh, as well from that, uh, there from James 3 through 5. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, thank you that we get to worship together. Uh, Thank you for your amazing word. Father, I know I'm not always excited about your word, and for that I'm sorry. But I know as I dig down and drill a little bit and 
push myself and deny myself to listen. It softens my heart. It, it resonates within me. It stirs me. It speaks to me. It makes me want to move and go do something for you. It makes me feel joyful. It convicts me. Your word is powerful, God. It's supernatural. It's not just some men's words on pages. But it's your Holy Spirit breathed, recorded for us uh, to live on. And uh, thank you as we get to feast on your word here for the next little bit. I pray for every person that uh, they would push themselves today to worship you in the word. To listen beyond what's said and to hear what you're saying to them. I pray people would feel comfort, encouraged, and urged from your word. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at a couple texts. Before we get into Hebrews, I'm going to show you a couple minute video that I think will uh, make a great illustration. Uh, but the title is Run the Race. And I'm going to talk today about the spiritual battle within us. I'm going to talk today about perseverance. Uh, I'm going to talk today about wisdom. And, um, you know, you think of this whole thing, the Christian life all throughout the scriptures is compared to as a race. And why is it compared to as a race? Because there's a beginning... And there's an end. And you say, well, who am I racing against? Do you have any runners in the room? Like, okay, there's seven of us. Okay, you guys listen real quick. I know a lot of people say I'll never run unless I'm being chased. Uh, but, you know, when you run a race, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's, it's intense. Because you get there and everybody's lined up and the adrenaline's flowing. It gives you a little extra boost. And you run faster in a pack than you do by yourself. And the Christian life, it's a race. There's a race for time. I got a phone call on Sunday night, uh, a week ago today, from uh, Danielle's assistant soccer coach from a year ago, from AYSO, saying, Hey, Marco, this is so-and-so. I said, Yeah, I know who you are, because his name was so unique. You're so-and-so. You're the assistant coach to this other gentleman. He goes, Yeah, that's why I'm calling. And I thought he was calling to ask me to coach. And I was trying to think, how can I say this graciously? No, thank you. I'm not available. I can't. But he says, you know, unfortunately, uh, Eric died five weeks ago. And this guy was a great guy. He had coached these kids from like six or eight years old all the way till 16. Like they were, you know, they were connected. 49 years old riding his bike, had a stroke, massive stroke at 49, and, uh, you know, found him in, a, in, a, in, unfortunately, found him in the lawn in Lomita, in someone's lawn, face down. His wife was waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, 2, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 30, called one of the police friends. He says, call the hospitals, ask for John Doe. And sure enough, there was John Doe. Her husband was in UCLA Memorial in a coma, and you know, they brain dead within the week. 49 years old. And God just keeps putting these situations in front of me regularly just to remind me, no matter how strong, healthy, and I'm not planning on dying, whatever, 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 we're in a race for time. That our life has a beginning and it has a period. And during that time that God gives us, and luckily uh, this gentleman and I had a good spiritual conversation at one point. It was positive. Nothing came from it. But it was great to have that conversation. But it just reminded me, Marco, your life is made out of a paper bag. It's short. It's temporary. It's what the scriptures say. We're going to read about today. It's a vapor. It's short. 
and we're in a race for time. Nobody typically plans on dying. We're in a race for our attention. Satan's wanting us to look at all these things and be anxious about all these things and be choked out by all these pleasures and be choked out by desires for other things. He's, 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 he's vying for our attention. He's doing everything possible to get our attention without us realizing it's him. Why? So we can run the race casually and distracted and walk and go on our own path and so on and so forth and still think we're in the race. Hebrews chapter 12 um, my little clicker is not going to do this to me, is it? There we go. Sorry. Hebrews chapter 12. I don't know what I'm having a problem with here. There we go. Thank you. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, so many people in the Bible that have been before us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. You know, when you run a race, you can't just decide as you're running through... A Palos Verdes has a marathon. You can't just decide, man, I know the hill's a PB. This is way... This is the long way. I am cutting right now, and I'm going up this hill, and I'm going down, and I'll catch up with everybody, but it's way too hot today, and plus I know a shortcut. You can't do that. I mean, you could. No one's going to chase after you. But you can't do that and win. Or compete. There's a race marked out. There's markers. There's barriers. There's people that are there to keep, uh, you know, um, uh, keep outlook onlookers from coming in the path and getting injured. There's police officers blocking roads. There's it's marked. In the same way, the Christian life is marked for us. You say, but Marco, I don't know where I'm going. I can't see it. Well, the Bible says. Here's how we see it. He says, let's run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Verse 3, it says, consider, think about Him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart, and this is my part now, and quit the race. That's what happens, isn't it? People get discouraged. They stop focusing on Jesus. They start feeling sorry for themselves. Discouragement piles on like pancakes. Right? And then before you know it, you quit the race. We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 3. <clears throat> he says right here, Paul's writing and he says, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. The Christian life is hard. You ever work out and feel like you cheated yourself? Like you did just kind of, you worked out, but you went really slow or you just were soft. You're easy on yourself. And at the end, it's not like you're like, this is awesome. I had such a great workout. When you know, I was like, I didn't push myself at all. The Christian life is hard. Not every part of it, but the basis of it. It's hard to be righteous. It's hard to follow Jesus. It's hard to run the race. And that's why he says, Paul tells Timothy, who's going through a hard time and discouraged, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. 
but rather he tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. There is rules to the Christian life. There's boundaries. There's a course set for us. You don't have to go along that course. You choose. And you can pretend that you're running in the course, but you can't fool God. And you can fool a few people, but as I told a guy at the wedding yesterday, I said, you know what? You can play right now, but the cracks in your life will show. I know you don't know me, maybe, I'm, and I'm not trying to be judgmental or anything, but I said, it's just in time the cracks are going to show. Isn't that true? And so, it's our choice on what path we're going to take, what course our life will go. No one does it to us. No one can make us. It's us choosing. I'm going on this course. I'm going to show you a video right here. Many of you know this story, but for those that don't, it's a great video about this woman 31 years ago that um, cheated and, uh, in the Boston Marathon. So here we go. Um, you know, we laugh because it's funny. Um, but, you know, Rosie Ruiz, you know, your character is your character. And she appeared to win it in two, two hours, 31 minutes. It was at that time the fastest time ever recorded for a woman in the Boston Marathon. As well as it was the third fastest of any marathon ever. And so the, the time she was claiming from the New York Marathon, she actually cheated. She took a subway, jumped out. Uh, intervals. So did you do intervals? What are that? What's that? Um, you know, it's just funny. But suspicions mounted almost from the beginning. Men win, men's winner Bill Rogers, who had just won his third straight Boston Marathon, noticed that Ruiz couldn't seem to recall many things that most runners know by heart, such as intervals and splits. Others observers noticed that she wasn't panting or coated in sweat. Other observers noticed that um, her thighs were much flabbier than would be expected for a world-class runner. And later, they, she kept sticking to her story, so they hooked her up to a stress test machine, and her heart rate was at 76 standing when most world-class athletes are at 50. And she's still standing to her story, sticking to her story that I'm, uh, you know, I did it. In addition to her time of an unusual improvement of more than 25 minutes, she was asked, um, by a, an, an, she was asked by a reporter, why didn't you seem fatigued after this grueling race? Well, I got up with a lot of energy this morning. Most seriously, this is where it hits home. No one could recall seeing her. The woman that was winning out at the 18-mile mark said, I've never seen this woman. Another woman at the 16-mile mark said, she would have had to pass us. Many people said they checked all the video and all the footage. She was nowhere to be seen. And, you know... Um, Later in 1982, that was in 1980, she was arrested for embezzling $60,000 from a real estate company where she worked. She then moved back to South Florida to be arrested for involvement in a cocaine deal. And at last report, she's working in West Palm Beach as an account rep. And today, to this day, she still maintains she ran the whole race. You know, apply that to the Christian race. How flabby are your thighs? 
How much fatigue is coming? How sweaty are you? Has anyone seen you really living the Christian life? And if so, who and how often? And is it a long time ago or is it sporadic? What a great illustration about you can't fake it. And just like this woman faked it and stuck to her story and there she was sneezing because of the, I'm guessing it's from the uh, olive branch. She's having an allergic reaction or something. Um, And totally clueless. I mean, you know, sticking to her story. We've got to be careful that we work hard to run this race and be genuine through and through because we can try to fool ourselves, but we can't fool God. And we really can't fool others in time. Today, I want you to take away this point. There's only one worthy race in this life. We just all do it at a different pace. How you serve God as a college student is very different than at 50 years old when you have three kids or your energy is cut by a third. It's true. doesn't mean you're less committed. You may just have a different pace. How you serve God when things are going really well it's different than how you may serve God when you're really being bombarded, where you're really fatigued emotionally, physically, mentally. You may have to slow down the pace. It's okay. It's the same race. But we've got to realize that out of all the races in life, there's one, none more worthy than this race following Jesus Christ. We just do it at a different pace. You know, I looked up the uh, definition of rat race. It's a way of life in which people are caught up in a fiercely competitive struggle for wealth or power. You say, well, I don't have either of those, so I must not be in the rat race. Okay, just put it down to the level that you do live in. You know, we're all running after something. And we've got to make sure that we're in the race strongly. I'm so thankful for so many that are veteran runners. You know, you meet those people that have ran 50 marathons, 40 marathons. I mean, all, there's a lot of Christians in this room that have run a lot of marathons. Have proven themselves genuine through and through, over and over. I commend you. You encourage me. You know, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, when you're going through hard times, remember your brothers around the world or around the room or around the city that are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And you encourage me. Coming to see and talk with many of you, it encourages me to keep going. And I hope you feel that. And I hope you encourage each other. There's only one worthy race. Let's make sure we're on the right path. Let's, let's break down James 3 here. James 3, verse 13. This, remember I said there's different... On a race, you've got to stay on the path, on the course set out for you. Well, number one you see here in James, you've got to take the path of wisdom. If you want to make it in this race, you've got to take the path of wisdom. Who is wise, verse 13, and understanding among you? Let him show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven. But it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. 
Then it's peace-loving. It's considerate. It's submissive. It's full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and it's sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. You know, whenever you study the book of Proverbs, you see the word wisdom interchanged with humility, interchanged with understanding. And if we want to have wisdom, if we want to understand how to be on the right path, because life, you know, the, the path changes, we've got to make sure that humility is at the foundation and the core of who we are. Who is wise and understanding among us, the Bible says? Let him or her show it by the good life, by the deeds done in humility. I know Steve preached two weeks ago about faith and deeds. But here James is preaching to us that our good life will be shown by our deeds done in humility. How about it? How is it going as it relates to envy in your heart? Or bitter envy in your heart. I guess that would be envy that's grown and grown and grown. And now you're resentful, bitter, and, you know, it just, it just comes out strong. Not just envy. There's, there's an anger. There's resentment. How about it? How about selfish ambition? You say, well, I'm not that ambitious of a person. It's not about just climbing at work is selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is I like to get my way. And I may be quiet about it, but I just do what I want to do. Where I, you know, you can say Jesus Lord, but then not submit to Him. And it's, God wants us to be ambitious, but He doesn't want us to be selfishly ambitious. The Bible says when we are, there's disorder and every evil practice. You know, how do we get this wisdom from heaven? Well, we train ourselves with the scriptures. We all think a lot of times that what we know or our way is the right way. We feel strongly about it. It's our opinions. But how much are we letting the Scriptures influence our thinking? When was the last time you were tested in an issue and rather than just doing what you want, you went, you know what, I'm going to do an in-depth study on this topic because I want God's wisdom to influence my direction. How about it? How much are we seeking the Scriptures and training ourselves with the Scriptures? How about midweek? You know, a lot of you don't come to midweek. I would question if you're really on the course. Or if you're walking on the course. Or if you're kind of bobbing off the course and then coming back on the course. You say, why is that? Well, Sunday is a traditional service in our culture. It's been for hundreds of years of our nation. So it's easier... And more natural to come on Sunday. But midweek is for the family. It's so we can address issues that you wouldn't have on a Sunday service necessarily. And not just negative issues. But sometimes, you, family's got to talk, right? And it's where we get to connect in a different way. And it's where we get to be taught. It's more teaching than preaching. Though you have both on both days. But even more than that, it's a place to give and be rebooted and be recharged at the middle of the week. Because I don't know about you, but I'm, I can feel really strong and then really flat and then really funky. 
all within a short period of time. My emotions can work me. I got to work them because they can work me. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone to midweek out of sheer self-denial, duty, obedience, and because I'm the leader. And you know, you can't just not show up. But those are the times that I've felt the most joyful, filled, fed, last one to leave, and asking myself, why did I not want to go to midweek two hours ago? It's kind of weird. I've had a great time tonight. And I have the conversations that I need. Our singing needs some improvement. I'm grateful for our singers, but I'm work- we need to work on these singers. We've got some amazing singers up here. They're training every week. We've got to train these singers better. Because we're all one chorus and choir, right? You've always wanted to be in the Glee Club. Here you go. But we can't practice during the middle of a Sunday service and say, Okay, guys, let's stop right there. We're now going to repractice it. Let's stop again. It would be interruptive. It wouldn't... Our kids. What are you emphasizing with your kids? About wisdom? I think many of us are more concerned about their grades, whether there's a plus or a minus or what level it is. Do you know in a very short while, no one will ever ask them again. I'm all for good grades. I haven't figured out how to always do it in my own life or helping my children, but I'm all for it. Excellence. But I think sometimes we get more enthusiastic about that than our kids being at the meetings of the body. And I'm just telling you, whatever you are is what you're discipling into your children. And in a very short time, remember that I said this race, it's run a race for time. In a very short time, your kids are going to fly out of the nest. I know you say not soon enough. They're going to fly out of the nest and your influence is going to diminish like this, spiritually. Unless you spiritually influence them a lot while they were in the nest. How about it with this wisdom? Is it earthly wisdom? Spiritual wisdom. We need to repent about midweeks. The ones that are saying, come on, they're the ones that are coming. The rest of you, come on. I'm not just saying, say come on or amen. I'm saying, come on, come to midweek. I can say more than I want to, but I have to keep going because I'm... The... Did I get my point across? Did I do it in a nice way? Reasonable? How about getting advice? Wouldn't you say if you don't get a lot of spiritual advice from other spiritual people, you're relying more on demonic wisdom, earthly wisdom, unspiritual wisdom? The Bible's full of... And, for, and when you're doing well spiritually, you're like, that's right, I'm, I'm so thankful. But when you're not, or when you're indifferent, or you don't even realize it, you don't get much counsel in, so your life doesn't get shaped as much in the image of Christ as it could be. I was praying this morning, I'm so thankful for the discipleship in my life currently. Not a long time ago, I'm thankful for that too, but currently. I've gotten a lot of help, I need it. I need it. Every new stage brings up new things in my life that I've never done or figured out or just new things in my character that God says, now it's time to work on that. But let's go after it. Seeking spiritual wisdom versus just going by our emotions. Thinking through things. What does God want? What does God think? Look at these qualities, he says. Wisdom from heaven is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy 
and good fruit. James chapter 4. We've got to take the path of wisdom. If we're going to run this race, make sure we're on that path of wisdom. Number two. We've got to take the path of spirituality. What does it mean to be spiritual? James 4.1 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. Amen? Amen. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. Let's read down in verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, carry on, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and bra- boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. What a great passage about spirituality. What does it mean to be spiritual? It means thinking like the Holy Spirit. Acting like the Holy Spirit. Living with the Holy Spirit, right? Spirit, spiritual. It's being in line with the Spirit of God. Being in accord with the Spirit of God. And all of us get off course, off the path, and we need the Holy Spirit to help us get back on the path. If we stop listening to the Holy Spirit, then inadvertently, without even trying, Christianity just becomes a list of do's and don'ts, becomes mechanical, we have our little you know, system and set up, but the heart just starts drifting away and we don't even realize it. We've got to fight to be spiritual. How many people think the smog in L.A. affects their upper respiratory, their, their sinuses, their lungs, and the level of pollen? Raise your hand. Henry's a ear, nose, and throat. He's just like this. Because he knows. He sees people. But how many people have personally witnessed in their own sinuses or their own... Some sniffling even going right out there just to prove it. Their own sinuses, their own uh, allergies, their own fatigue. I mean, it messes you up. And the smog, one of the worst in the country. I don't know where it fits in the world, but one of the worst. All that particulate. Well, don't you think... The spiritual smog of L.A. or the unspiritual. Wouldn't you say it's a wicked city in a lot of ways? A lot of sin is birthed here. Ideas and concepts. and I mean, this is the capital of pornography. Just, you know, 50 miles up the road. 10,000 films a year made. Right here in sweet Los Angeles. 
Hollywood exports a few things that I would say aren't godly, don't you? And on and on. Don't you think that living in Los Angeles affects our spiritual lungs? Don't you think we inhale and exhale all day long and get just numbed to the advertisements and the bombardment and the just, you know, the scantily clad women everywhere on advertisement, music, every billboard? Don't you think it affects us? I do. Affects me. Affects my thinking. Affects my sharpness spiritually. And if I'm not constantly staying on top of it, confessing my sin, getting after it, staying in the battle, staying on the course, then before you know it, I'm breathing in even more than I realize, and it's now starting to go in my bloodstream, spiritually, versus just giving me a sinus infection, or a headache, or making me kind of draggy. And it becomes part of our heart. And how we dress, and what we talk about, and how we carry ourselves, and our priorities... Don't you think the people at work affect you more than you think? And that's why even evangelism is such a great antidote for worldliness. You say, why? Because when you're sharing your faith, you're kind of sorting out your own heart right then and there. And you're kind of spraying a fumigation to that person. So, shh. Not in a rude, condescending, judgmental way. That'll win no one over. But you're just kind of, listen, here's what I'm about. Shh. You know, and kind of setting some boundaries. And when they come back with the joke, and they say, you didn't laugh. Say, you know what, it just wasn't that funny to me. Oh, come on. Seriously, if you want to tell those jokes, just let me know. I'll walk away. It's all, you're welcome to. But I, I told the guy at work once, hey, I get polluted enough without you saying, do you want to hear a joke? And I say yes, and then I have to listen to it, and I fake laugh. No, I don't. No, thank you. I remember telling the guy, do you want to hear a good joke? I said, is it dirty? He goes, is it, I go, is it dirty? He goes, uh-huh. I said, no. He's like, oh, come on. And I said, well, you know what? I'm polluted all day long and I have to fight it. So if you want to tell it, just tell me. I'll get up and leave. You guys can all laugh and then let me know when I can come back. I'm just saying, I'm not being a doomsdayer, but it affects us more than we realize. And we've got to battle and go after it. To fight, to be spiritual. Otherwise, those desires that battle within us take us over. Otherwise, we become more friendly and then close friends with the world and become an enemy of God without realizing. Otherwise, we become more proud and hard-hearted without even trying. We've got to fight the worldliness that's all around us and go after this path of spirituality. I need to be open. I'm tempted by the just ease of life. I'm tempted sometimes to not want to look foolish in other people's sight when I stand up for God or share about God. I'm tempted with materialism. Anybody else? Okay, you guys are. Anybody in this section tempted with materialism? How do you combat that? You give first to the Lord. You say, well, I'm doing that and I'm still combating materialism. I understand, but that's the first step. Every time you give and you look at the rest of your budget, you go, okay. I'm voting with my checkbook here. What I, what's important? I'm investing and what I think is a treasure. That's one way. You're generous with others. You confess it. We just went through Crown Financial. We learned a lot of great biblical principles. And we rely on those things. Otherwise, without even realizing it, we're no different than the world. We just go to two meetings a week. 
I don't want to be like the world. The Bible says I'm supposed to be an alien and a stranger. How does a stranger feel? Just kind of, um, I'm not really familiar. I'm not very comfortable here. They're looking for something familiar. You ever been a stranger in a dark, dangerous or dark part of town? And you're like, okay, this isn't good. Um, I got it. Okay. This, you know, and you start thinking through scenarios. If you're smart, okay, somebody could come from over here. Good thing I, you know, I got my skills. And I, luckily I've been trained with night vision. My night vision, not the goggles. But we're supposed to be different, aliens and strangers. I can be tempted to look down on others. I can be tempted with self-reliance. I can be tempted to be friends with the world. We've got to take the path of spirituality. And finally, we've got to take the path of prayerful endurance. Do you know the longer you're a Christian, the more you're disappointed? Did you know the longer you're a Christian, the more you're disappointed? Do you know if you weren't a Christian, the longer you're living, the more you're disappointed? More people get sick, more people die, more things you go, oh man, that's terrible. You just have a longer, the, the, the race went longer and you just have a, lo- a lot longer to see hurts and be tested. This passage really helped me a lot. You know what, I want to read this story. It says, when the hardships of life come to God's people, they may find in Him strength to endure and grow. It's not what happens to a person, but how he or she reacts to that counts. Valuable violins are not made out of soft pine that has only known warm showers and gentle breezes. They are made out of wood that has endured the cold and the storms of many winters. Such wood has character in it. Christian character is not formed by lying on flowery beds of ease, but it is the product of treading rough highways in life. Be patient, James 5, 7, then brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Look at how many times he says the word patience, which means long-suffering. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who persevered. You've heard Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Verse 13, is, any, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And if the prayer is offered in faith, it will make the sick person well. And the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. It's funny how the writer there, James, puts that last sentence, how Elijah just prayed, and there was no rain. He prayed, and there was rain. If you remember reading the story, he didn't just pray, and there was rain back. He prayed on his knees with his head between his legs, bending down, begging God, just earnest. And then he sent his servant to the cliff. And the guy came back, nothing. Go back. 
The guy went and did it again. You guys know the story? Came back again. He's praying earnestly, his head to his knee. Nothing. Go back. You know, by the fifth time, the guy's like, I know what he's going to say. Go back. You know, well, I said, go back. Seventh time, he goes, okay, there's like a little, maybe I can make up some, little dark cloud about the size of a man's fist. It's rain. The Bible doesn't put in this story, that story in there. If we're going to make it, and make it well, not be like Rosie. Tried to get the glory without paying for the glory. See her holding the little trophy? You know, even the woman that won, once they disqualified her, they made a little like fake tape and they had her run through it for picture ops and stuff. And they give her a, they give her a bigger trophy than that one. But to make it in this race, it's going to take incredible endurance. Incredible prayerfulness. I'll never forget, I was going through a really, really hard time in the ministry amongst one of the many hard times. I don't remember when it was. But I was really discouraged. And I went from being frustrated, disappointed, to frustrated, to discouraged, to full of self-pity, to bitter. I wouldn't have said I was bitter, but it just, you know, you got to call it what it is. And I remember reading this passage and it comforted me so much. Because I was reading all these passages and I was just so discouraged. Nothing was like lifting me up. And I read this passage and I got to the point in verse 11 and my eyes filled with tears. This one sentence, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Because I didn't feel like he was. If he was, as Gideon said, if the Lord is with us, what? Why are all these bad things happening to us? And it just reminded me, it injected into my soul. Marco, God's not playing games. It's all part of his plan. He's full of compassion and mercy, even in the times when it's grueling. He hasn't changed. Even though I felt like I was being wrung like a towel, and started feeling like, God, what's up, man? I... I God, I mean, remember, we're partners and I help you out all the time. I'm, I'm a, faithful, a faithful servant and why is... And I, was stopped, I stopped believing that. And when you stop believing that, you stop praying that way. Elijah was a man just like us. He struggled a lot, but he was full of prayerful endurance. We've got to pray and keep pushing through and keep enduring, realizing that each lap brings some new things and some hard things. But at that path of prayerful endurance will help us make it. Let's take these things to heart. Let's embrace what the book of James has to say. I just skimmed over the top. Go back and read 3, 4, and 5. I know the Spirit spoke to you in different ways. There's only one worthy race in this life. We're just all at a different pace. But let's run at our pace. And for some of us, let's pick up the pace. And let's go after it. And maybe some of us just need to even just get into the race here today. But I hope today has been helpful for you. Thank you.